0: and keeps Stanley in front of him. Touchdown, Lamar. The referee scores. 49ers in front. Oh, he doesn't make it. Wide right. Wow. The two most dreaded words in Buffalo. And the in the middle and intercepted Derek It's Derek Ford. It's off to
1: San Francisco with the wild. The Big Show. Welcome to the Picks Sports Show. It's Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. Let's say hi to Steve Mickelson from Mixpicks.com. 2K's in Mix, 2K's in Picks, Mixpicks.com. Hello, Steve.
0: Good morning.
1: All right, you can call us 888 989 9811. You can email us, RAD at uh, radradio.com. We're actually going to start with a couple emails on the way this morning. Uh, The Sacramento Kings snapped their four game losing streak. They now uh, look ahead to Thursday. And uh, that one of those games you always circle on the schedule, the Golden State Warriors. Tonight, we find out who, if anyone, gets into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And we seem to be getting closer and closer to Jim Harbaugh's coaching debut. A lot of you will listen to the, uh, the sports show we know after the fact later in the day. Uh, it's always available on uh, the Rad Radio app, the membership site, members.radradio.com. Great for the afternoon drive home, et cetera. So we got this note from Cliff who says, hey, Rob, I feel bad rooting for your team not to win. And the team of most of my family, that would be the uh, 49ers. But as a lifelong Jets fan, I hate to say it, I am rooting for Steve's Detroit Lions on the next game. Their story gives me hope. I just wanted to throw my hat in with Steve and root for his team. It's been over a decade since I've been able to enjoy a playoff game. So I'm wishing Steve all the best, and I hope he can keep enjoying the feeling because it is fleeting and the football gods are cruel. Now, let me guess, Steve, you you probably appreciate that, but... You've had three times as long of the suffering as he has.
0: <laughs> yes, but you know, the last time the Jets won the world the you know the Super Bowl was back with Joe Namath. So most people probably aren't alive, you know, who are still those Jets fans. They did have those that run with Mark Sanchez getting to the AFC championship game, you know, the two years in a row. But on the whole, Jets fans have suffered <laughs> the high expectations this year. We got Aaron Rodgers coming in you know it's a repeat of the Brett Favre when that Favre over from the Packers to play with the Jets. So I, I understand his uh you know his pain, believe me I really do. Um and I appreciate all the kind comments. I I really do that as well. But man the Lions think about it, the Jets have been a much better franchise than the Lions <laughs> cuz Lions haven't even like done any of these things that the Jets have done. But uh I, I know where he's coming from.
1: Uh, yeah, and you're you're so right though, that is so jets because I mean, that was the ultimate you you guys finally have a real chance. and on the first series of the of the season, it is just ripped away from them. I, that, oh, that was just so jets. All right. we also got this email from uh, Nathan. Now Nathan, yeah, we I, I should say, Steve. Um, we are doing the podcast once a week before, you know, now we we just now started with the daily show. We just, we're getting so many positive, encouraging, nice emails just from people that are enjoying the show, enjoy the banter, enjoy the way we, we approach things, but there's also Nathan not impressed with our analysis of the uh, Packers Niners game on Saturday. He wrote in and said, Rob, I know you're a Niner fan, but I just love how you and Steve completely ignored the fact that the Packers got screwed, obviously on three calls The hold by Jettings into the sideline. The hold by Ayuk that the announcers even commented on. Plus, you had the offsetting penalties for personal fouls when one Packer didn't strike out or hit a Niner. Not to mention that the Packers had to challenge every spot. Regular season refing is one thing, but those mistakes take away 14 points and 45 yards of loss on key plays. Boy, this guy really went back and did the math. The Packers beat the Niners if the refs would have been better. This made me so disgusted that I am done watching football until the NFL fixes this that is a uh that is quite the reaction to what he perceived as a whole bunch of bad calls i mean we, we talked a little bit towards the end of the yesterday's show uh about yes the frustration of the refing and uh, come on steve that that i, I don't I, i'm not being defensive okay you, you don't have to agree with our our analysis stuff, but that seems a little over the top to me uh,
0: you know he he has the right and this is where you know i keep talking about technology but you know I believe Owens for the Packers uh, got up in Trent Johnson's face and pushed him and Trent Johnson re retaliated. I'm sorry. Trent Williams retaliated and the Niners got flagged for a 15 yard penalty right there. When the Packer guy Owens was the one, and I believe it was Owens. I could be wrong, but he was the one who started it. So, you know, again, it is one of the problems with the human element that we see today. Um, the Packers did the Packers were the better team for 58 minutes of this game. I'm not taking anything away from them, but you know, as I say with the lions and, and, you know, don't let the officiating dictate the final score of the game. You still got to take care of business yourself and make it happen. Packers had a great season. You know, I, I feel bad for Nathan that it's just no matter how great their season was, you know he's leaving it on a sour note and that's kind of a shame cuz they really did have a great season
1: i realize as sports fans we view everything through a biased prism everything's against our team Every, but uh, you alluded to it in the beginning of your answer there oh, the cor- the true the truth is over the course of the season a lot of this stuff balances out the packers get calls against them, but then they also don't get calls against them. Opposing teams get calls against them that they, they shouldn't have. And ultimately, I still you, – you seem to be – I know you're moving more towards technology and stuff, Steve, which I'm fine with if we can do it right, but I, I am still – I am very rigidly set in what you alluded to there at the end. It is your job to overcome these things, whether it's bad calls, missed calls, whatever. Don't put yourself in that position. Score more, play better defense. Things like that. But I do understand the emotional uh, the re- reaction. And you, you can always pick on or criticize Steve and me. That's why we're here. We're putting ourselves out there. Phone number is 888-989-9811. Hello, Alan. Good morning, guys. Hey. I have a question. Um, I know that there's a lot of firings possibly that are going to occur. And I'm curious. Do the owners go and ask... The players and everything, how they feel about their current coaches. Do they get insight? Do they understand? Do they feel? What I'm trying to get at is do the owners actually go and see what the players feel they want their coaches to do or to be before they hire? Well, that's a great question that we can – I'll start with the end of yesterday's show in that all of the reporting, including Raiders owner Mark Davis himself, is that Mark Davis did talk to his players. And I I forget the exact quote, but he basically said the players were going to mutiny. If I didn't hire uh, Antonio Pierce, he, he promoted uh, interim head coach Antonio Pierce to the job. So in that particular case, and Devontae Adams and others have have concurred with that. I said, "Yeah, we 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 told him." Now we in in Dallas we had the very public version of that, Steve, where uh, Dak Prescott at his post game press conference was asked about Mike, coach Mike McCarthy, and he was like, "Hey, this guy's everything to me. He he should stay. I understand owners make decisions, but I, I so that that was a public way of doing it." Um, I don't know that that's that's true all the time. certainly isn't true all the time, or
0: if it's even the norm. I would lean more it is not the norm. I know all the players do an exit interview at the end of the season, but that, I believe, is more with the general manager, the head coach, the coaches, um, discuss the season and everything like that. My concern with an owner going personally to all the different players is is it kind of establishes that relationship of the players report to the owners and they can bypass the coaches, the general managers, and things like that. And, and to me, your best owners are the ones who hire great football people into those positions, allow those people because they know a lot more about the sport and the business of football, allow them to do everything. And for me, I I want my owner sitting back and, and more being, just observing supporting and uh, not necessarily getting involved with the players. I understand it. You do want to be a part of it. Um, But for me, the football decisions need to be made by the people I hire in those positions of my front office and my coaching staff. They're the ones who should be making these decisions.
1: I mean, these billionaires are never going to be completely hands off. There's a, there's a personality type to a guy that owns uh, a football team. But, but there, there's a difference of how hands-on are they and how much is it, okay, I'm going to sign off on this guy. I, I get the impression that um, in, uh, in, in New England, Bob Kraft signed off after hearing up through the chain a whole bunch of players saying this is, this is our guy as opposed to uh, he, he, was, he was microscopic. Whereas, like, you get Jerry Jones and Arthur Blank down in, in Atlanta, they're much more, it seems like, hands-on.
0: And this is why I couldn't own a team, or I couldn't be in the front office, because I believe I'd be much more reactionary and hands-on, and I would just bury the team that I owned. So I would be a very bad owner because I'd want to be involved in these things. Alan's
1: uh, Alan's call was a perfect lead-in because uh, one of the big there's there's still a bunch of big names out there. Obviously, Bill Belichick's uh, the big the biggest name. Why, by the way, Steve? Why hasn't Pete Carroll been mentioned at all? I know he's got this position now where he's an advisor or whatever in Seattle, but he could easily leave that. But he he has not been mentioned as a candidate for anything.
0: No, he has not. Everyone's basically retired Pete Carroll. And the part that surprises me is he's in an advisory role now with the Seahawks after going out saying this decision for him to be removed was made by a bunch of people who don't <laughs> know football. So I take a shot at the ownership and the governing board of the Seahawks and then ended up as an advisor, which for the Seahawks I think is great because Pete Carroll does know football. He's been successful at every level he's been at, but it is kind of surprising to me. I thought Pete Carroll was a great coach and I know he's up there in age, but man, he doesn't look it. And the thing that I like best about Carroll is he is a coach. He coaches and teaches his players. He doesn't just say, look, you got to have a certain skill set and you got to fit into my system. He is out there, which is why, and he knows deep backs. And that's why you keep seeing the Richard Shermans, et cetera, who were drafted in the fifth, sixth round, that become all pros and become great, is because Pete Carroll has always believed in coaching his players, even though they're at the NFL level, and making them better. Football players.
1: the uh, the biggest name, the other big name that, that is out there that is heating up is uh, Jim Harbaugh, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh is meeting this week with the Los Angeles Chargers for a second interview to be the team's next head coach. The Atlanta Falcons are scheduling a second interview with Harbaugh. The uh, Chargers. This is re- this is this is out there. Uh, I believe Pro Football Talk uh, has has picked this up as well. It was originally reported locally in Michigan by the Michigan Football Report. Uh, the the Chargers have raised the contract price for Harbaugh. Now it doesn't necessarily mean they've made an offer, but they've made it clear this is the area that we're looking at. They they're preparing to go as high as fifteen to eighteen million a year over five years, which would get us in that ninety million dollar deal, which is still comparatively less than what we're told is the deal sitting there for him to stay at Michigan, which is about $125 million. So Harbaugh's got obviously a lot of choices and decisions to make. When I look at this, Steve, I, I, I mentioned to you earlier, I don't get the Atlanta thing. I don't get why Atlanta's an attractive job for any of these big names. The Chargers I get walking into Justin Herbert, I, 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 just that alone, and, and Harbaugh and his ability with quarterbacks, I love Harbaugh. Not, I mean, as a football guy, I love Harbaugh to the Chargers.
0: And I can see that. And if I'm Harbaugh, I definitely want to go to a spot that has a quarterback. The Chargers are an attractive looking position there. But my understanding with the Chargers that no one's talking about is they have a lot of dead cap money or money going to players. So I think they're like 80 million and don't hold me exactly to that. I think they're about 80 million over the cap. So they're going to have to break up this team and make some some changes, which could then mean look, I'm getting a five-year contract. It's going to be two to three years before I can really be competitive. I'm going into a system that you expect me with the chargers. If he goes there to be making the playoffs immediately the first year and making a deep run the second year. But yet I believe they do not have the money in order to have the quality of players to provide depth on that team. I do want Harbaugh to go to the NFL. I think college football and college sports have really changed with this NIL. It's all about the money. Pay me to play. And but he knows the experience of all of these different college players. He's been recruiting them for years. And he's – I mean, he's pinning the NFL against Michigan. And with Michigan, he has certain stipulations he's requesting. He doesn't want the athletic director to be able to fire him. Uh, For a cause, even, he wants it to go to a three-person arbitration panel, and they would make the decision. If you're the AD, you're never agreeing to that. You're like, look, I'm the AD. I'm your boss. I have the right to fire you. Uh, But, you know, he's been suspended twice this last year. There are still some allegations sitting out there, and Harbaugh just wants to protect himself. And keep in mind, it wasn't that long ago. Michigan didn't have a very good season, and they basically look, if you're going to stay with us, you're going to take, we're going to cut your pay in half, <laughs> or whatever it was. He did it because he believed in himself. But, you know, are you really that loyal to a program that keeps cutting your pay, looking to get rid of you anytime a rumor comes up? You want stability. You want to know that they value you. And I believe most all of the Michigan nation does. But if you're hardball, you want some assurances that somebody just rogue can't just move you out.
1: Well, and you're you're using every bit of leverage you have as the national champion to, to either say, well, look, either do this or I'm leaving, or to intentionally put a poison pill into the thing that makes them – uh, say well fine leave either way uh, uh, and we should point out Steve you say all this as a Michigan guy who just won the national championship so what about what what about the Atlanta gig for Harbaugh that to me is such a wah wah wah
0: Atlanta is solely to drive up my asking price but to where then interest from other teams I, I don't see Atlanta if I'm Harbaugh I'd never go to Atlanta they could offer me you know, 20 million a year for 10 years. I got a 200 million dollar guaranteed contract. It's not where I want to go because I'm not sure he will ever be that successful there. And you got to look at you know your standing and and how you are viewed. You know, long term, is he one of the greatest coaches to ever coach? I see Belichick going to Atlanta in a heartbeat. If I'm Atlanta, I would not touch Belichick in any way. If I'm an NFL owner, I'm not hiring Harbaugh. I mean, uh, Belichick in any way. But for Harbaugh, you got to be looking at the Chargers as a great option. You want to go somewhere that you can win. Almost immediately and within two years, you are definitely a best team. And within three years, you need to be a Super Bowl contender. Wait a
1: minute. You just gave some people some whiplash there. Did you just say that you don't think any team should hire the greatest coach of all time?
0: No, I do not. Because I don't believe he's going to be long-term. I think he's chasing NFL wins. If I'm going to hire a head coach, my goal is bring a guy in who's going to create a culture of winning. And he's going to lead my team for 10, 15 years and make our organization great. So like he did with the Patriots, we're one of the best franchises in football. I'm not looking for a short-term rental to bring in for two or three years until he gets a record. And is he really going to be motivated in rebuilding our entire franchise? Or is he just chasing his wins? So if I'm an owner, Belichick would be my Pete Carroll in that, He's into retirement, and I wouldn't bring him on. I'd hire Pete Carroll before I'd hire Belichick.
1: Which I think, by the way, that's where a lot of that rumor has come from, which I think is about to get squelched, of a Belichick to the Eagles. Uh, and the reason I – because, like, they're, they are literally obviously built to win, and he just walks in, he, he, pat, he gets up his wins that, that he wants. He's there for two years, and then they do whatever they're going to do. But – we're moments away, I believe it is uh, between the pre- uh, a press conference between uh, Sirianni and I think either the owner or the general manager of the Eagles. All reports are they're going to reaffirm their commitment to Sirianni coming back next year. Which I, I it, it, it's hard, you know, it, after that collapse in in Philadelphia, that was a monumental collapse in Philadelphia. I don't know if it warrants a coaching change, but if and again, I don't think there's any truth to this by all reporting. If you had the opportunity to go to Bill Belichick in that scenario, I I see where the rumor comes from.
0: Yes, I I see where the rumor comes from. But the part everybody keeps leaving out is the general manager or the president of football operations, whoever the person is who makes all of these calls. You know, bringing in Belichick, you're basically eliminating your job as well. So (laughs) if I'm the GM, why am I bringing in Belichick knowing that he wants to control all the football decisions and now what i'm just a puppet in a position that belichick tells me what to do i'm his boss so you know these are things that that get overlooked when you're looking at head coaches and bringing them in and is belichick going to come in to a team yes has a lot of talent but is he really going to be given full control to do what he wants to do and i don't see him putting himself in that situation either because at the end of the day he wants to control his football team he views it as his football team, and he wants to make the decision. And if the GM's not willing to give that control up, I just don't see that marriage working.
1: Not a big name hire, but I just double-checked It's not official yet, but it's still being reported that the Tennessee Titans are oh-so-close to finalizing their deal for their next head coach, which would be Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan. He's been uh, in Cincinnati for five years. He broke into the NFL back in 2010 as an offensive assistant for the Denver Broncos. Stayed there through 2015 when Peyton Manning quarterbacked the Broncos to the Super Bowl. He was your Lions quarterbacks coach for 2016 and 2017. Then he went to the Raiders and then he's been with the uh, Bengals ever since. It's not one of the big names. That doesn't mean it's not a great hire. Certainly cincinnati offense is something but i don't know how much of that is callahan and how much of that is joe burrow and he does have uh he has uh, a levis in in tennessee he's got some talent to work with there
0: he he does have some talent it'd be more about coming in and developing their quarterback you know but let's look at it oh he's worked with peyton manning yes the end (laughs) of his career he was injured he was not the quarterback we knew in the colts he worked with matthew stafford Yes, Stafford's a very good quarterback, but did he make a difference in Stafford as the quarterback and launch the Lions to playoff wins and into the, you know, deep into the playoffs that did not happen either. Derek Carr. I don't even need to fully go into Derek Carr. Uh, Joe Burrow to me is extremely talented. He would be successful anywhere. So this is one of those hires that you got to like his schemes. You got to like a lot of stuff that came out in an interview because I look at his resume and I'm not as impressed because he's, yes, he's been the coach with teams with very talented quarterbacks. Is it him or is it the talented quarterbacks?
1: That is very impressive. Uh, a very impressive resume, you're right. And it's laugh out loud funny that, oh, wow, he worked with Peyton Manning. Well, first of all, he wasn't even like Manning's specific coach. And it's Peyton Manning. As you said at the end of his career, I mean, can't exactly give him credit for being the quarterback whisperer there.
0: Right. It's kind of like saying you're the quarterback's coach for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers does whatever he wants. Believe me, the quarterback coach isn't telling Rodgers what to do.
1: You mentioned exit interviews, and players do them, and players also tend to do them with the media as well. Uh, Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen expressed confidence yesterday in what's ahead for the Buffalo Bills after the team ended the season. On a familiar note, falling short of an AFC title game and Super Bowl appearance, Allen, of course, he's young. He's got time. He's 27, says he's not worried about the championship window closing, saying, quote, I believe in what we've got going on here and the people that are in charge, end quote, and I believe in myself. And this is another one of those dream scenarios you and I tried to craft of, well, why don't we push McDermott out and, and put Harbaugh in, in there? I mean, now, here's the thing. This, first of all, Josh Allen has to say this. I hope he believes it, too. He should believe at least in, in himself. I'm at the point with the Bills now where if you're asking me to evaluate Josh Allen's evaluation – you gotta show me. you got you got to stop you gotta stop being the Dallas Cowboys of the AFC and and actually step up and do. I think he should have confidence, don't you?
0: Uh, I think he absolutely needs to have that confidence to be a successful quarterback in the NFL. My concern there is is they've had arguably the most talented roster in the AFC the last couple of seasons, and they haven't gotten the job done. You look at the quarterbacks that are there. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud's now coming in. You know, Josh Allen, that's a lot of competition. And if their coaching and talent is better than yours, Josh, you'll never get there. It it just – your window is getting closer to closing because, one, you've been paying these players – and you've had it and your young talent is now going to look to get paid. So I don't think the Bills will have that advantage of the most depth and the strongest roster going forward. And these other quarterbacks have found ways to win that he has not. So I think your window is getting closer. And that's why I think they need to make that move because I think Sean McDermott has shown, look, I'm never gonna get you there. If you really want to get there, your your time, you need a coach right now. I'm not worried about five years down. I need a coach right now that can possibly win me a Super Bowl in the next three years because that competition in the AFC with these great young quarterbacks is just going to get harder and harder to win.
1: All right. We're going to go back to where we began. Uh, Somebody wrote in and said that we were completely unfair and wrong in our evaluation of the Niners Packers because we we overlooked the refs. And if the refs would have just let let, let them play, Packers would have, would have beat the Niners. He's a Packer fan. That's okay. His name was Nathan. Um, so uh, Sean wrote in and said, I forget the Packer tools name. I just said Nathan. But he forgot to mention uh, Green Bay had one penalty for five yards, Niners six for 83. Yeah, again, this stuff balances out. He's going to have an answer to that. Back to the actual point of the email. Says He says, the way the Niners D was leaking like a sinking boat, the game shouldn't have been close. And to me, the defense is the biggest concern versus the Lions, not Purdy. I have concerns about Purdy. He needs to look more in charge and less anxious. But I know, Steve, you're really focused on your Lions' big is running the ball against that Niners' D.
0: They have to. Uh, and, and the other thing about the 49ers in that game against the Packers was where was their pass rush? I, I mean, they didn't pressure Love at all. They have a lot of money spent on that defensive line in order to create a great pass rush. It didn't materialize in that game at all. But for me, the Lions' success is when they're able to run the ball successfully because it opens up the play action and allows Goff to do stuff. So if I'm the 49ers, my two big things here, one, we got to stop on. Two, we have to pressure Goff. We have to make him uncomfortable. As long as you do those two things, Brock Purdy, as long as he doesn't turn the ball over four times, the Niners are going to win. But as a Lions fan, protect Goff. And have to establish that running game to have any chance to beat the Niners.
1: Sacramento Kings uh, stop their four-game losing streak. Last night they've got the Golden State Warriors on Thursday. We'll talk about it and more next
0: Mix Picks, the
1: Mix Picks Sports Show.
0: Call the Mix Pick Sports Show at 888-989-9811.
1: I mentioned as we headed into the break, Steve, the uh, Kings broke their losing streak uh, yesterday. We will get to that in a second. Semi-breaking news. Looks like this dropped about an hour ago out of the uh, NBA. Cavaliers center Tristan Thompson has been suspended 25 games without pay by the NBA for violating the league's anti-drug policy. According to the league, Thompson tested positive for, oh boy, a butramorin, which is a growth hormone, And SARM, LGD4033, commonly used by bodybuilders and weightlifters for muscle enhancement. He will begin serving his suspension uh, tomorrow when the Cavs play the first two games in three days at the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, the Cavs are in fourth, 26 wins, six and a half games back in the East. That doesn't help.
0: No, it it doesn't help. And and it's a shame because, you know, Thompson hit the league, what, 12, 13 years ago. I think he's just trying to hang and be a part of the league. I will tell you that I, I fall into that category and I'm glad I'm not a professional athlete. I understand the not using these drugs, but believe me, I love baseball. And if my difference was between not making the major leagues or being able to make the major leagues and make a contract, I'd have a hard time not, you know, <laughs> do whatever I can to get there because you know, that's my world. So I never hold it against a player for, you know, doing this, but I'm also very strict on, look, if you choose that, you got to suffer the consequences. You know, everything's about the choices we make in life, and you have to be able to live with the choices that you make. Take that, uh, you know, that self, you know, responsibility for your actions, and it's a shame. I think it hurts the Cavs a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's a choice he made.
1: Uh, Harrison Barnes scored 32 points. Kings beat the shorthanded Atlanta Hawks 122-107 last night to snap their four-game losing streak. The thing that jumped out at me was the Kings bench outscored Atlanta's 43-19. to The Kings, as I said, they're on a four-game slide. They, you know, they were hot in the beginning. Then they slipped a little bit. They're right there in seventh in the Western Conference, um, and they've got the Warriors on Thursday. We'll talk about the Warriors first, or a second rather. Uh, but you know, the the Kings. It's kind of like yeah, the the Niners thing with you, Steve. Not that I'm saying the Kings are going to win the championship. The Kings got to stay healthy. That seems to be their biggest thing.
0: Yeah, they do. And and last night Barnes got out hot right out of the gate. I mean, he had like ten points. You know like five minutes into the game he, he was playing great they gave him the ball let him do his thing this Hawks team though was really shorthanded uh they're down a couple of players there and man the Hawks missed a lot of open shots they had a lot of opportunities and and my complaint with with the Kings and their team and i like their chemistry i'm just not sold they have that depth that you need to advance deep in the playoffs on their bench that's that's the hang-up i have for them along with i really don't believe they play great defense i think they need to be a better defensive team when it comes playoff time and but yesterday nice win. they they really needed it and uh they stepped up,
1: and and uh, by, I think most notably it would be Trey Young, uh, the All Star guard for the the, the Hawks, w- was out. So so the Kings, they they play uh, Golden State on Thursday, uh, at Golden State, and, and as I said earlier, that's that's one that, that, that for Kings fans, it's like the Lakers and the Warriors. You see those on the calendar, you go, okay, I got to set aside time for this. The Warriors, it's no news here. They are just a mess. They are a dumpster fire. Uh, Eighteen and twenty two. Um, and yet still packed with one of the greatest coaches in the game and a ton of talent. Uh, everybody keeps saying, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll get it together. They'll turn it around. And look, basketball's a long season. We are still m- months away from the postseason. I'm not convinced Golden State's going to be part of it, though.
0: Yeah, I'm not either. You know, I keep holding on to, oh, they'll be able to turn the page. They'll they'll correct it. They'll become the Warriors that we've known in the past. I'm just – I don't see it anymore uh i think they're aging clay thompson's not the player he used to be Draymond green has been a big distraction although he's now back with the team he's been a big distraction you know this year and all of last year i'm curious to see how they respond their assistant coach passed away yeah uh last week at a dinner while they were on the road in utah and you know, that's got to have some effect on the team. I, I believe everyone loved him as an assistant coach and not just on the Warriors, but he was a very loved uh, coach, you know, internationally as well. A lot of players really showed their support for him, which was great to see in such a tragic thing that took place. But this Warriors team, yes, they still have Steph, but Steph's not even as good as he used to be either. He's a great player. I think he's still one of the elite players, but to me, he's not the best player in the NBA anymore like he was several years ago.
1: Are they in uh, Are they in burn it down mode at this point? Like, like Is it is it time to complete? And, and if they are, does Steve Kerr stick around for that or does he go, I, I'm not looking to restart? Uh, I mean, I, I really think they've got to be having those discussions, don't you?
0: I, I believe they have to be having those discussions. I, I think they need to be in burn it down mode in a second you know, at, at least at the end of this season, Steve Kerr, if I'm him, I really don't want to stick around, but you know what? Popovich has stayed with the Spurs huh. long after I thought he would, I thought he would have bailed about eight years ago. He is still there every year at the end of the year. I'm like, Oh, this Spurs team's so bad. You know, why is he coming back? I, I know now because when Mijana is unbelievable to watch play, you know, he puts up, I think 36 last night against the Sixers as MB, you know, rip the Spurs apart, put oh. up 70 in that game. But uh, if I'm Kerr, I'm like, look, I want to I wanna win. I don't want to go through a whole rebuilding process. And, and I think the, the Warriors, if I'm the Warriors, I'm looking at rebuild. See,
1: that's the difference is Popovich has one Bionna, and he can tell himself, I've got the ability. I've got the ego. This is how I'm going out. We're going to win one more, and I'm going to show that I rebuilt this. Steve Kerr doesn't have that. He doesn't have that guy to point to right now. Go.
0: Yeah, but Popovich didn't either for many years, yeah, and he still stuck around when when I would have bailed long before this. True.
1: Now, you mentioned it. You alluded to it. I didn't look it up. I was going to. I don't know if, if the, the last time, if ever, two players in the NBA on the same night scored over 60, but what a night. Joel Embiid scored 70 points to surpass Wilt Chamberlain and set a new franchise record for points in a single game. That's not a bad guy to pass for a record, leading the Philadelphia 76ers to a 133-123 victory over the San Antonio Spurs. And then the other story that has the darker ending to it is Carl Anthony Towns scores a franchise record, 62 points, including 44 in the first half breaks his own record for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, and then the Charlotte Hornets erased the 18 point deficit and uh, they beat the Timberwolves 128, 125, but what a night of scoring for those two.
0: Yeah, it was. But if you watch both games, the thing to me that really stuck out is it became all about Joel Embiid. Yes. They held on to beat the Spurs, but you're sitting there watching the game and the Spurs were keeping it interesting going, you know, maybe this is how you beat the Sixers. You let Joel Embiid goes (laughs) off. You stop all the other guys. And then you watch the Timberwolves game and it became all about towns. And suddenly it became not about making the right shot, taking the right play. It became give him the ball so he can score. And they blew that 18-point lead because it came about him, not the team. And, and, you know, that's where it's it's tough because you get caught up in the moment, but you got to understand it is still a team sport. And when you allow – yes, great for him, but you lost. I mean, would Carl Anthony Towns prefer to have 62 points in that night or would he prefer to have had a win? Because, you know, the Wolves are one of the best teams in the NBA – you don't want to be taking losses against teams like the Hornets that you should be winning.
1: So you have, you have the luxury of being able to watch all these games. Uh, I Not only do you have the, the time, and, and this is what you do, uh, but I got to get up at 2 in the morning, so I don't get to, to see a lot of this. So I, I have to ask you then, when when you say it became all about Towns, for example, because they're the ones that lost, there would be the argument that some would say, those of us that didn't see the actual game, well, wait a minute, no, it's not all about Towns. It's about he's got the hot hand. Get him the ball, and he'll he'll make – the shot, or or are you, because the way I heard it initially was you're saying, oh, it just became about let him rack up the points, set a record, et cetera.
0: He had the hot hand the first half for 44 points in the first half, but he only had 18 in the second half. I believe he ended the game going two for his last ten, something like that. That's not the hot hand. That's giving him the ball so he can continue to score more points and break the franchise record for a single points in a game or whatever it is. If he was still shooting, you know, look, he's made eight of his last 10 shots. That's a hot hand. Two free throws, is not. And again, giving up other opportunities for other players because the defense just start collapsing on him as well. And Bede was going one-on-one and the Spurs didn't adjust and Bede was tearing it up. It was unbelievable. He was making everything, had the hot hand, but then you start double teaming him, etc. And then you got to give the ball up, find the open guy, let him make the basket. And the Wolves just really got caught up in there. Let's get Cat, you know, his points. And it cost him the game.
1: Uh, this afternoon at 3 p.m. on the Major League Baseball Network, they will – now, this is the big thing, right? This is – so. Steve and I remember the day where uh, we found out things like uh, who, who, uh, what the NFL schedule was or – or who got into the, uh, the the Baseball Hall of Fame by watching the, the evening news and waiting for the sportscast or the headline or whatever. But now we get to watch it live, 3 p.m. this afternoon on the Major League Baseball Network. We'll see if we can figure out who's going in after this. Mix Picks, the Mix Picks Sports Show.
0: Mixed Pick Sports Show. Got a hot take? Email us at radradio.com. At rad
1: you can also call 888-989-9811. Uh, we got this email from Brian. Now, I got, a, I got a question for you, Steve, a clarification. We talk so much, text so much. I didn't think I heard this, but, of course, your Lions play my Niners on Sunday for whoever goes to the Super Bowl from the NFC. Brian wrote in and said, Rob, if the Lions actually beat the 49ers this weekend, I know Steve mentioned that he may actually try to go to the Super Bowl to watch them since the game is in Vegas. Is that that that's not what I heard?
0: No, there, there's no way I can go. My wife and I were discussing it last night and how it's such a shame. I live here in Las Vegas and the Super Bowl's here in Las Vegas, but even if the Lions made it to the Super Bowl, you know, I'd always told her. Early on in our marriage and if the Lions ever make it, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm going, but it it just, it won't be the case. I will not be attending. Um, You know, I still have a job to do and, and uh, (laughs) again, I loved going to games, but it was more about the tailgating, the atmosphere and stuff like that. As far as actually watching the game, I would not want to be at the game because you don't really see what's going on. I would rather enjoy it in the comfort of my living room and being able to see everything going on as opposed to – plus, my seats are always terrible. I mean, you can never really even see the field, so it's kind of like, yeah, I'm there. I can say I was there, but I really didn't get to see anything.
1: You you will love the motivation, though, for, for Brian's uh, email, and I, I, I you, you wouldn't even accept this, but the whole reason he wrote in was to say – why don't if that happens if the lions win would it be possible to set up a fund for the maggots to donate money to steve's tickets like the, get the audience and you know they would steve they love you so yeah, much
0: i i love the thought i would say that <laughs> no keep, keep the money spend it on yourself your family you know take care of yourself i'm doing okay i, I appreciate the thought <laughs> but uh you know i i would rather watch the game away from the stadium
1: the results of the baseball hall of fame vote will be revealed this afternoon uh, at three o'clock on the uh, mlb network we already know that manager jim leland got in uh, from the uh, committee in terms of players you always look at the hall of fame uh, ballot tracker which has been used for years where it monitors publicly revealed ballots there are there are some writers who will reveal already who they voted for and there's other ways they do this but like for example it's not always completely reliable last year todd helton got 78.5% Seventy-eight and a half percent of the pre-result public ballots, but he ultimately finished just short at seventy-four and a half percent. So let's go over uh, the the big names, Steve. I'm going to start with those that, that are still there. That not the new not the new kids, but the list. But obviously, Todd Helton, Col- uh, Colorado Rockies legend, Todd Helton, close to being a part of the class of 2023. Ultimately, received seventy-two and a half percent. I guess it is. Uh, this is Helton's sixth time on the Hall of Fame ballot with a maximum, of course, of 10. Speaking of that, Gary Sheffield, who's only at 55% last year, final year of his ballot. Billy Wagner was close with 68%. He's in his ninth year. Andrew Jones is the only other returning player that garnered more than half of the vote. Then you got those names, Carlos Beltran, Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez. The only one, Steve, to me on the list of we're still waiting is Helton. Now, I'm not not certain he's going to get in. I'm going to make my final list here over the next 10 minutes, but that's the only one that jumps out to me.
0: Uh, Adrian Beltre. Adrian Beltre is a first-time ballot. He's going to get in. He's
1: a first-time ballot. These are the ones – I'm talking about the ones that are Uh, there that aren't first-timers.
0: Okay. See, to me, my problem with Todd Helton, he was a really good player. He played in Colorado, and, yes, I do believe that takes some of that part away. But I'm old school in the sense that until Don Mattingly and Steve Garvey get in, I mean, they were great first basements. Neither one's in the Hall of Fame. I have a hard time saying that Todd Helton was better than Don Mattingly. So for me, I would want to see Mattingly in there before Helton and, uh, you know, even Garvey.
1: I, I, you know, Look, I, I, it's hard to keep track of this stuff and, and remember this stuff. You just blew my mind that Don Mattingly is not in the Hall of Fame.
0: No, he is not in the Hall of Fame. And you look at Garvey. All the way through the 70s, et cetera, Garvey was considered, like, the best first baseman in baseball. You know, he was competing for all-star votes with, you know, Pete Rose, et cetera, when Pete Rose was the first baseman. But Garvey, I I mean, he had the consecutive game streak. The guy hit 300-plus every single year. I I mean, the fact that Mattingly and Garvey are not in – that's where I struggle with Helton because I believe they were bigger players at their time and better at their position. You know, Helton has always been a really good player. And one of the things I use for the Hall of Fame is I believe you need to be considered one of the best players in the game for five, six, seven years, not at your position, but in the game and I just don't see Todd Helton as falling into that category.
1: And so Mattingly and Garvey, at this point, they've got to rely on the Veterans Commission, right?
0: Yes, and you got to believe the Veterans Commission's going to put him in. Don Mattingly, how he's not in there, I mean, he was considered during his time for like, who knows, eight, ten years, like one of the five best players in the game. Just and a
1: spectacular hitter and field. And, and, and the doubles, right? That was his thing. He, 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 no. he, how many seasons in a row do you have? Like 45 doubles a year. Um, Right.
0: It's more than just the home runs. And, you know, he was a great defensive first baseman on top of that. Same with Garvey. I mean, Garvey won, you know, what, eight, 10, I don't know how many gold gloves
1: man that that is that is mind blowing you know the and eh, we got to save that conversation for another time because you and I we start talking about baseball and old school baseball you can never shut us up so let's get to yes you're right the big one the only question with uh, adrian beltry is how close to unanimous w- will it be and and right now all the reporting is it's going to be like 98ish we won't know uh, until today. So he's he's the top of the new play, the new players on the ballot this year. The other names that kind of stick out are Jose Bautista, Bartolo Colon, Matt Holiday, Joe Mauer, Chase Utley. A lot of people are saying Utley maybe. I I think
0: I think Mauer's got a good shot. See, I, I'm not on the Mauer bandwagon. He he had good numbers, and if he had stayed a catcher throughout his career, I absolutely would have put him in there. I, I think he left being a catcher too early in his career, moved to first base. And then when he became a first baseman, th- there was no bargain. He, You know, he's not hitting for huge power. He's not driving in runs. It's that, look, he's making good money for an on-base guy. It's, it, And I compare him to Buster Posey because to me, Buster Posey is a Hall of Fame catcher. Buster Posey was great. He helped the Giants win three World Series. You know, but once Posey moved out from behind the plate into the first base, his value just wasn't there for, for the team anymore. It wasn't like Craig Biggio, who, you know, became an all-star second baseman, became, you know, all-star center fielder. It just, it, it's not there when Posey was at first. He's just average. I, I mean, yeah, he's a great guy and his stats are huge for a catcher, but as a first baseman, he's middle of the pack. And that's why I don't think Maurer played long enough, and I don't believe he was a catcher anywhere near long enough to earn Hall of Fame consideration for his short time that he really played behind the plate. So
1: this kind of brings us back to the its the classic question of should or will. It, uh, ironically, uh, uh, it has nothing to do with sports, but we do this a lot with the Academy Awards. when it's a, they, The nominations were announced this morning. So the, the, the weekend before, everybody writes uh, who will win, Versus who should win, and mm-hmm. and that's what I was doing with Joe Mauer. I can't make a great case for all the reasons you said that why Joe Mauer should get in. I think he's. That's why I said I think he's got a shot. I just don't. I really think this. This is what I was going to allude to, Steve. You know, again, we only have like six minutes left. The the. We we can get our rocking chairs out here on the porch and rock away like the old men that we are. We have changed the standard so much in so many ways in all sports and especially baseball and especially the baseball Hall of Fame. The the it used to be three hundred wins for pitchers who got you in now now because of course all of the pitch counts and everything else. It's like well two twenty is going to have to be good enough and and it just feels to me like Joe Mauer the it. it they don't the 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 writers don't take into account all the things that you just said it's like well we can we can't diminish his value because he wasn't behind the plate the whole time whereas you and i go well actually yeah because you're putting him in next to guys like johnny bench for god's sakes and carlton fisk and guys who beat up their bodies their entire career and still maintained their their offensive output whereas you you just sauntered over first base one of the easier positions on the entire field and kept up your 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 offensive uh, uh output which so again for mauer i just feel and we'll find out tomorrow well we'll find out staff New will talk about tomorrow i just feel like there's this and, and yes some of it is some of the rumors i'm seeing in the reporting i i feel like a lot of them are, are doing exactly that they're going oh come on don't punish him because he changed positions and i think he might get in
0: but don't you have to look at the player's entire career not just six seven eight years that he was a catcher and then six years that he was yeah. an average first baseman. I yes. mean, on the whole, it's like, look, you were great for half your career and you were average for the other half of your career. Hall of Fame to me needs to be, you know, pretty much you had to produce your whole career. And I'm not saying you had to be in the MVP discussions every single year, but when you look at, you know, Pudge Rodriguez with the Rangers and what he did for his whole career as a catcher, you know, Johnny Bench, yes, he finished up the end of his career at third base. But they were in there day in, day out at that position, and he moved to first base. And, and you know, you would never have said he was even in the top eight first basemans, you know, in baseball during his time that he was at first base.
1: Yeah, no, you and I have to consider that. You and I believe that. I just don't have confidence that this 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 field of writers will that that yes, you made the argument for for not getting Maurer in, and, and but so here so here we, hey, so here's the question. Uh, okay, we we both agree Adrian Beltran gets in. It won't be unanimous, but it'll be close, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes.
1: Will, not should, but will Maurer get
0: in? I believe Maurer will get in. Yeah. Would I have voted for him? No.
1: And I think we've already covered – well, I know this, the second part of that. You know, Should he get in? I already know you're a no, and I'm a no too for all the reasons you said on Todd Helton, although I hadn't even thought of the <laughs> – of the Garvey Mattingly thing because I'm walking around old school baseball fan. Somebody walks up to me on the street and says, Hey, uh, Don Mattingly, Hall of Fame or not? I'm like, of course he's in the Hall of Fame. Shut up. You're an idiot. Um, but will he get in? Does Todd Helton? He was so close last time.
0: I believe Todd Helton gets in as well. Again, he would not be on my ballot and you can call me old school or whatever, but I, I just, it, Colorado does have an influence and his statistics <laughs> he put up in that ballpark. But to me, it's not just entirely the numbers. I think you need to be one of the best. I mean, are we going into pitchers with whoever had the best strikeout-to-walk ratio and, you know, or strikeout-to-batter's-faced ratio and IK'd 15 guys, you know, per game, nine-inning game now, and that makes me the Hall of Famer. I, I, str- I-, I love the analytics. I-, I was one of the first ones on it. But at the end of the day, the analytics aren't everything. It's the eye test. And I just don't believe that Todd Helton was better than Don Mattingly. I don't believe that Joe Maurer is an elite player and is worthy of the Hall of Fame. Do I think he's close? Absolutely. Absolutely but I just don't think he's over the edge.
1: Analytics will be a fun conversation one day when we get into that time of the year where it's a little slower, because you're absolutely right. The problem with analytics isn't that they exist. It's that it's that they're relied on too much and too heavily. So it, there's, there's nobody we left out, right, Steve? You don't have like a candidate you're going to throw in because it sounds like like usual, unfortunately. I think
0: Billy Wagner... You think he gets in? Me, Billy Wagner, oh. I don't think he's going to get in, but I would probably put Billy Wagner in there before I'd put in Todd Helton. Billy Wagner during his time in in the majors was dominant. He he was yeah. dominant from the start of his career all the way through. He's a relief pitcher, so he doesn't have the innings. He doesn't have the wins. You know, he doesn't quite have Trevor Hoffman's saves or Mariano Rivera's saves. But Billy Wagner was a dominant closer yeah. for pretty much his entire career.
1: It was over when he came in. But on the will list, our official list, we, we have the same, right? It's Beltre, Maurer, Helton will get in. Not we're saying they should, but that's who's going to get in.
0: Yeah, I yeah. believe that's who's going to get it. All
1: right, well, I'll be my, my by my phone at three p.m. so we can text one another. It's on the MLB Network. That's it for Mix Pick Sports Show today. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. Thanks, Steve.
0: Thank you. Mix. <laughs>